0: planned it that way. I planned it to be um, back uh, yesterday but uh, got out of different plans. Um, and I flew from Seoul, Korea and landed in Dallas. The first thing uh, I saw in my text message is that the planes from Dallas to Philadelphia cancelled. So they routed me to uh, uh, somewhere and I would have arrived here like this afternoon, so I called the agency and telling, it's not acceptable. You know, I need to be a little bold. So I told the lady at the, at the agency or the airline and saying that I have to preach tomorrow morning. And she says, oh, let's see what I can do for you. So the, the, the flight that uh, they booked me was to uh, go to from Dallas, went to Denver, Denver to Philadelphia, Arrived here at 6.30 in the morning. But God has an interesting way of keeping me in a way that I can do this because when I got on the plane from Seoul, I got upgraded to business class. That was nice. And then uh, for the first time ever, i mean, all the travels that I did, I actually slept 10 hours in the plane. The plane is about 13 hours long. The, by the time I got on the plane, within an hour, they serve you a big meal. So I ate that, and then uh, I fell asleep. And when I got up, the was, plane was getting ready to land. So that was kind of awesome. And then when I hear this, that the fact that it's got postponed, uh, delayed, because I had a good 10 hours of sleep, I was able to manage the, the rest of the, uh, uh, the flight uh, without any difficulty. So even though... Uh, you know, I arrived this morning, I, I am energetic, other than my little gout that is uh, acting on me. The point here is that God is under control, I noticed. If I didn't get 10 hours sleep, I only got like 3-4 hours sleep, I would be in real big trouble right now. But God is in control, and he is ultimate authority when it comes to controlling our lives to those who submit to him. The question today really is, do you submit to authority? And as we'll study that, as we talk about the Paul's authority, what authority does Paul have to be able to do what he was able to do? And why did people follow him? Now, this particular trip, I didn't really want it to go. Uh, because I was in Korea, as you know, three weeks ago, or three, four weeks ago. I just came back about three weeks ago, and coming back from the marketplace um, missionary program where we graduated 1,000 people at work. Now, this trip, I got a call. uh, It's for the uh, World Missions Conference that is actually held every four years. Apparently it's a big deal. Uh, well, all the missionaries from overseas in Korea are coming to Korea. All the pastors who are sending the uh, missionaries are also uh, coming. There are over some two thousand some people there, mostly missionaries and uh, the pastors. Uh, the lay people were not there as much because it was really for the conference for them. And um, I consulted with, uh, uh, not like Paul, who did not consult with. Uh, anybody else, peers. But I consult with a, a friend of mine and says, should I go or not? He says, Tim, you should go. Of all the places, this one you should go. And uh, what am I going to talk about? Says, well, God must be calling you to talk about something because you're inviting you to be at the uh, missions conference, which is really the overseas missions conference. And um, so I decided to go and uh, just returned. But it's something that's, I've experienced something really interesting, and it's amazing. And as I was talking just before I left, and uh, they uh, were having some discussion and saying, "No, know, uh, Pastor Haas, you know, we uh, uh, just want to let you know, uh, we cannot really give you a whole lot of honorarium, and uh, the best we can do is give you uh, economy coach for the flight. And... Uh, You know, we are um, uh, trying to raise as much fun as possible so that we can bring hundreds, hundreds of missionaries from the overseas where they can't afford any plane tickets. So uh, I hope you understand. So the Spirit really touched and moved me in saying that I completely donate any of those expenses. So instead of me coming, uh, paying me for the uh, plane ticket and having someone else come, uh, with the plane ticket that you are to pay me, so that was kind of the uh, spirit that uh, really uh, uh, taught me to the which was, I thought it was really in line with the spirit of a mission of the conference. And I got there. Uh, amazing thing is that I was speaking I right with or uh, just before, uh, or actually at the final night. There was like the three nights of intensive. Uh, 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 the entire day of a conference and an intensive um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the evening session, and I was speaking with uh, the uh the pastor of the world's largest church, full gospel church of Yeido and uh, it was just one blessed evening, and that was. Now talking about the authority. What is authority? One thing we know today is that people don't like authority. I think they used to one time, but we no longer like to submit to authority. We just don't like the word authority. I don't like the word authority. And I know especially the young millennials of your, our children, they don't like this word. At all. You know, they're once kids, they're the longer kids. They're growing up. They're just coming uh, just around the corner to take over this world. So we have to get used to what they think. They don't want the word authority to be spoken out loud. About seven, six years ago, I was out to buy a new car. And I have been driving uh, Lexus for a long, long time and I really liked the Lexus, and I wanted to get another Lexus. This is about the time uh, the recession took place, soon after. And um, I went to buy the same Mercedes, uh, uh, Lexus that I had, the sedan, and I went out there, and we we're trying to do the negotiation, as you know how to do the negotiation, buying cars, and um, the guy will not give me any discount. Now, Many years ago when I bought SUV, Lexus, they gave me like $5,000 discount. This time they won't give me any discounts. And then when I insist and did, did all this, uh, you know, dealing and gaming with, uh, uh, talking with this uh, guy, and he finally said he would give me a $1,000 off on a big sedan. So I did the usual thing, you know, you uh, pretend that you're not interested in the car, and and you walk up, you stand up, and you walk backwards towards the door, and usually they stop you, right? Well, this guy won't stop me. So I even stopped, walked even slower and little slower, and then I turned around, and I expect him to say, Mr. Haas, but nothing like that. So I walked out, disappointed, because I want that car. So I called my younger brother. He knows a lot about the cars. I told him exactly what had happened, he says, don't buy a Lexus. I said, Go buy. Well, what do I, what do I buy now? He says, Go buy a Mercedes. Well, I can't buy a Mercedes because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pastor. I can't drive a Mercedes. They will, they'll think it's kind of, you know, <laughs> too much. And, uh, well, Tim, you're a businessman. At the same time, you're a pastor. You can't afford it. You just go for it. Yeah, but I'm not so sure. They're expensive, Tim. Just go to that dealership, Mercedes, ask for $10,000 off. What? You don't do that kind of stuff. And he says, no, you ask for $10,000. So, because the time is different. During the recession, uh, all the people who can afford Mercedes... They abandoned Mercedes. They went to Lexus dealership. They're looking for Lexus, which is a few thousand dollars. Well, maybe not more than two thousand dollars, 10, ten, twenty thousand less expensive. That's why. Then I about the uh, not about it. I wanted uh, ten thousand dollars off, and he, just, he started laughing. And uh, he says, I might be able to do close to that, but not exactly that. And we're doing some negotiation and everything like that. And then when he came to the bottom line, he gave me a previous year model. I wanted that particular year model. And I was really upset with him. And, um, but you wanted the $10,000. That was implied that you wanted a year before. No, 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 I want this car that I just drove. And so we went through back and forth a little bit. And uh, um, finally we just didn't come to any, nothing close. And uh, but at the end, he you know did the same thing. He he goes to the manager's office. You make you sit there for twenty minutes. I know they don't do anything. They drink coffee, right? They come back out, and then they do hassle with you and all that kind of stuff. And um, so the uh, finally manager comes out. You know what he said? He comes in and says, "Well, what's the situation here?" Maybe I can solve this problem because I'm the authority here. He actually used the word authority. And I got so upset at him and says, excuse me, I am the authority here. I'm the one who's going to buy a car, not, not you. And then he, was, he realized what he said is not what he meant. He meant to say that he has certain control over the situation, that he could do something. But I said, you didn't come out that way. You come out as if you're the authority that I have to submit to whatever you say. I'm the buyer. I decide whether I buy or not. And he apologized it. But anyway, we went back and forth a little bit, and he gave him $10,000 off, plus, He gave me about $10,000 more for the trade-in for the other Lexus that I was going to trade in uh, uh, compared to the Lexus dealership. So I got that car that I'm driving right now for $20,000, basically better deal than uh, the Lexus would have. So when he came out with uh, the paperwork and he gave me $20,500 off. And I said, what's the $500 for? He said, well, that's for saying... The wrong word to you, authority. <laughs> so, sort of sudden, I kind of like the guys. I'm still driving the car. Maybe I don't really. I want to move on to some different car, but maybe I consider uh, going back to that guy because I like that guy for what he did. Nobody wants to hear the word authority anymore. Have you ever heard about this huge retail chain called? Sports authority? Yep. Where are they? They've been around 36 years. At their peak, just did, did some Google, They that, that, that huge store, 460 stores throughout the United States. They went bankrupt two years ago. Bankrupt, gone. The buyer decided they want to use a different name. Called Dick's Sporting Good. Now, I don't know. This is my guess. Authority went out of business. Sporting Good, he came in. I'm not so sure. I'm just speculating. It's very possible. When you have a name like authority, you kind of maybe you manage your people and your, your uh, consumers with uh, you know, sort of like an authoritarian style, which is not fit in today's environment. Whereas in Dick's sporting Good, maybe they are more, the managers are more good to their employees and the consumers. So, whatever the reason, it's kind of interesting to note the authority is something that we uh, don't like as much as we used to. So, the word authority is challenged today. The people challenge the authority by asking, why? I cannot no longer submit to just because you're in that position. We need to understand why. Why do you have to do this? And why are you telling us to do what you're telling us to do? Millennials need reasons and justifications for everything, take the trash out. Why? Why, everything, it's why. You know, Einstein used to ask that question, why? He became an amazing inventor. I have lots of expectation that our millennials are gonna come up with so many different inventions because they always ask why instead of saying yes. Going back to the uh, missions uh, conference that I just attended, here are some facts. Those who are interested in going to overseas for missions, with all those trainings and sacrifice they do, the numbers are declining rapidly. Both the United States In Korea. They're the two countries that are sending the most missionaries to overseas. And those who are on the borderline are basically saying, Why do I have to go? Why can I do it differently? Why do I have to go through that particular procedure? They just don't want to be told what to do. They want something different. They're asking why. Why you're to the ends of the earth? Don't tell me just to do it. Don't tell us just because God said so. They don't want to hear that kind of attitude. So the question to them is, if the ultimate goal is to save lives and to serve the people, why do you have to go through all this paperwork and stuff like that? Why, I, why can't I just go? Sounds very much like what millennials talk about these days. So I spoke about the Marketplace Missionary Program during my speech, my, my, my uh, message, and through exactly about 1,000 um, Marketplace Missionary. And... Um, how they can go back to their uh, respective workplace and do exactly that, to serve and to save the lives by showing, not just talking about it. And uh, after the message, the entire place got crazy. They never heard such a thing. Some of them have heard. And when I show them, the, uh, uh, the one I showed you three weeks ago with the 1,000 people graduating, that were completely and totally convinced. Amazing, amazing turnaround that this overseas missionary is going to embark on in the future. And that's what they say they are going to go into. A heavy session trying to understand how to do that. Now that's right in with the fourth industrial revolution, which is based on internet of things, artificial intelligence, and data, data, data. And this is something they discussed. I was in my talk. They said, you know, the overseas missions and this industrial, the revolution, is parallel, equal to what happens with the missions. The first industrial revolution took place back in 1700 with uh, England. They revolutionized the way they produced and, 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 and did everything. And they were able to just colonize, go to all, basically go to the ends of the earth. And every country they went to, they brought gospel. And you can see the whole world, a lot of world, wherever British went, we now, there are Christian nations. The second wave was United States, again with England. That was back in late 1800. Everywhere they went, they brought gospel. That's how we were able to uh, go to the ends of the earth. The third was during the 1960s and 70s, with, again with the United States, and this time with Japan. United States continued to bring gospel, but Japan did not. The fourth is now artificial intelligence, data, 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 internet of things. Now the question is who is leading? Which country is leading this effort? Now we don't know yet whether we as the United States going to lead or some other country. But one thing we do know for sure, big corporation is on the march. Perhaps it's gonna go to more corporation than the country. Companies like um, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and in China, the big, big giant called Alibaba. They are just as big as Amazon right now, and next five, 10 years, they're going to pass Amazon uh, much greater than what they are today. So here's the problem. Are they going to bring gospel? We think not. Definitely not Alibaba from China. And most of our um, big corporations, they don't talk about gospels. So in the fourth industrial revolution, It's going to be the workplace. It's going to be you and I would have to bring gospel with the authority and to be committed and to be bold and take on the authority of gospel and to be able to proclaim the word of God. So we just challenged the traditional protocol and the challenge has been made to the authority of missions. Millennial Christians uh, are different, and this is very possible. There is one millennial guy who is also a writer and blogger who claims that he knows everything there is to know about millennials, their mindsets, how they were educated, how they were brought up, how they lived with this old electronics. This is what he said, I am a millennial. Millennials don't disrespect authority, some do. We disrespect authoritarianism. What I mean by this is that millennials value direction, leadership, and authority that is based in know how and experience. But we resist the type of authority that originates in a because I said so attitude. We want to know why things should be done in a certain way. Why does it make more sense to do things one way than the other? Why should we keep doing things the way they have always been done? Why does the boss's opinion matter more than mine, even though it might be wrong? Here's a message to parents. It says, parents and pastors, this is just as true for you. You are in a position that is under God, but that's not enough to truly lead. Your children and your congregation don't follow a position. They follow a leader. Give them reason to follow. What's Paul's authority? The point of this message is this. Paul knew that his position would be challenged. Just like millennials would challenge anything. He knew that he would be asked, why? Why should they listen to him? Why should they listen to what he has to say about Jesus Christ? Why did he he know that he will be challenged? Because he knew his background. He knew his past. His past was not very good. He was a murderer to begin with. He wanted to wipe out Christians from the face of earth. Well, at least from his world. He persecuted Christ's followers. Not only did he not have the qualification, he never did anything good to humanity. Then he goes around preaching about the gospel. Who would believe him? Who would believe him? Our society More and more, our past is on our back. People say they forgive, forgive, they forget, forget. But when you are elevated to a position, a higher position, all of a sudden, the past comes to haunt you. It is no longer about authority. It is about how you live, the true leadership that they are looking for. So Paul goes around preaching the gospel. What right, what authority did Paul have to preach and to teach about the gospel? So he starts out in the first verse of the first chapter of Galatians this way. Paul, an apostle, He states his position, a position of authority, apostle. That's authority back then. It's very high position. It's an authority of having something. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So, from the get go, he states that he is in the position of authority. But before he, finish, he finishes the sentence, he qualifies how he became to be in that position. Basically, what he's saying is he was appointed by Jesus Christ and God Himself, not by man. And further qualifying that this appointment was made by God, who had the power to raise his son from the dead. He is making case about His role and about God, to the people who are asking why. So Paul goes on. Let's look at the today's scripture. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brother, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. He's saying it's not about me. It's not about my position. It's not about my position as an apostle. This is about the good news, the gospel. So he's saying if you want to really know the reason why I preach as an apostle, he's saying that I have something with me that is so amazing. The gospel that has power to raise from the dead, a power to change, power to transform. I have reason for my madness, Paul is saying, going from persecuting the Christian's to now giving my life to save them and save the non-believers. In verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's saying, I got this directly from the son who was raised from the dead. He revealed through the Holy Spirit. And you know how he came to be when he was walking or journaling walking towards Damascus, the big white lightning light showed from the heaven, and he got blind. He got blind for like three days. That's when he received the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. 13, verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Now intensely I persecuted Church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. He's telling his testimony what he was like before he met Christ Jesus. Some of you might be wondering what I talk about when I go to Korea and other places. I do exactly what Paul did. I shared about my testimony. I shared them about what I was like before I met Christ in a new way. I told them prior to that I built my life using brick instead of a stone that you have heard me talk about so many times. That I'm now ready to build, not so much ready, I am now building my career, my life, everything on brick, not on brick, on stones. In the past, I did everything to make a name for myself. Now, I don't. And it's really the same testimony that Paul's been giving. Testimony is extremely powerful. It has power to move and touch, heal people. Testimonies are more powerful than reasons and justification. As Revelation 19.10 said, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy when you are giving a testimony of Jesus, whether it's your own story, but if it's about your own story about Christ, it's the testimony of Jesus. It's a spirit of prophecy, what is yet to come. And when our testimony is brushed with grace, it now has the authority. When your testimony, when your story is brushed with grace, it takes authority. So going back to our scripture, then Paul said that he met Lord, first received grace, and experienced grace. Verse 15, let's see. But when God, who sent me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentile. Again, he emphasized, I did not consult any man. He's emphasizing again and again that what he preaches is not from man, but he received grace to preach with authority as given by him, by Christ Jesus. And the 17, verse 17, nor did he go, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. He's saying, I did not even consult with my peers, other apostles, because Paul knew he was doing so with the authority that was given to him by the initiator of grace, Christ Jesus. Thus, Jesus is the ultimate authority. So what lesson is there for us? Simply grace gives us the authority. His message is for us to receive grace and exercise the authority with grace. He's saying, don't run away from it. Don't try to be just a nice guy. A nice guy with no substance has no attraction. Grace is something warm and nice. Free gift authority, has power. Exercise authority that has power. Touch with grace. Exercise our authority given to us by our Savior. We do that to trample an enemies, to declare in the name of Jesus to win over any temptations that we may face. Knowing fully that we too have the authority just as Paul has received the authority from Jesus Christ. So we are to exercise God-given authority to rebuke to resist and to correct so that we may be able to live in accordance with his word. The bottom line is this. Jesus is the authority. Paul did not try to explain his authority. The entire scripture, even though he started out by saying, I am the apostle, But he gave all the credit to the grace in Christ Jesus, saying ultimately it is Jesus who is in authority. But because of his grace, he received that authority from Jesus, which means we all can receive the same authority. Soon as we receive grace, we receive Authority at the same time, so therefore, we are to exercise the authority that is given to us. Let us pray. May the God of grace.